Okay. Continuing our series, Wisdom, I want to mention how many of you hear me say this every week, and the reason I like to say this every week is because it's very important. We put together a reading plan. If you're new to the church here, we say, man, it is so crucial uh, for you to engage God in his written word. And so we put together a plan to make that easy for you to do. We have it in a journal format, and if you have a journal, um, we are on page 60, a place for you to take some notes there. If you don't have a journal, you'd like one, simply head out over to the slat wall and you can grab one, or you can simply just grab the reading plan there. Uh, to encourage you to jump in on that. Now, this morning, this morning is kind of the, this is the 4th of July weekend. And uh, as many of you maybe were out seeing fireworks uh, last night. To me, uh, more than celebrating the 4th of July, do you know what this weekend is for me? This is a big weekend for me. Some of you are shaking your head because you know I see this is the start of the Tour de France. Started yesterday. Now, I've shown them backstage. I have the app on my phone where I can watch it live. So I've been tempted. They're kind of closing. And if here in another hour, the stage will be done. So I'm going to try my best not to jump onto that here this morning. But in all seriousness, <laughs> um, I love the Tour de France. I love biking. It's, I, I'm a big football guy, but I would much rather watch the Tour de France in the Super Bowl, hands down, any day of the week. So I know it takes some more man points away. That's fine. I think it's, I think it's about as manly a sport as you get. Um, but that said, 4th of July. As we think about the 4th of July, one of the things is I've gathered around different firework venues over the years. One of the things you'll catch me doing at times is as the fireworks are going off, um, I will a lot of times get teary-eyed. And the reason I get teary-eyed is because I begin to think about the sacrifice that have been made by many men and many women for us to set up what we have today in this country. And I truly love the United States of America. It's, it's a country that I look to and think, man, this is a great country. Even you say, well, Adam, come on, we're messed up, especially after the Supreme Court ruling of, uh, you know, two weeks ago. You say, even in the midst of that, I can say, stand here with honesty and say, I love this country. Do you know one of the reasons I love this country? We're going to get into it this morning in Proverbs. We do not know anything of verses like this. Proverbs 22.8, those who plant injustice will harvest disaster and their reign of terror will come to an end. Now, this verse is very hopeful. It says basically governments and people who lead with injustice, who abuse power, who do not handle people well, it will come to an end. But look at how it describes their leadership. Look at how it describes their governing, their ruling, a reign of terror. We know nothing of that in America. I don't care how evil you think our president is. We know nothing of a reign of terror. Think of another verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 12. It says, when the godly succeed, everyone is glad. When the wicked take charge, people go in to what? Hiding. So those fireworks go off and I sit and I take it in. I say, man, this is a great land that we live in. We know nothing of a reign of terror. And I don't know about you, but I'm not tempted this afternoon to go home and hide. I don't stand here in this stage with any kind of fear of someone breaking in here this morning because what we're doing is perfectly legal. That doesn't mean, you know, you know the story that happened in South Carolina. Someone can break in here, but this is a great land. Nick Ripken, who is very familiar with the persecuted church, who leads in areas where they do go into hiding, and it is a reign of terror, wrote the book Insanity of God, Insanity of Obedience. I know a number of you have read that. He talks about when he comes into, when he came, he was rebuked one time. He comes into China, and China knows, the Christians in China know what it is to hide and know what it is to live in a reign of terror. Nick Ripkin is in this church, and all these leaders are gathering. And in the church in China right now, there are incredible things happening. God is clearly at work, and it's moving to see it happen. So he's sitting there listening to these miraculous stories of God doing incredible things in China. And he stands up, and he's kind of bemoaning that we just don't see it in America. 
And I've heard him tell this story, and I've read it, and he, and he tells it where they, one of the leaders gets silent in the Chinese church, and he finally stands up, and he rebukes Nick. And he says, are you kidding me? I mean, what are you talking about? And then this Chinese church leader who understands what it is to hide, understands what it is to go to jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he stands up and says, are you, from what I understand in your country, in just about every city in your country, there is a church that preaches the message of Jesus Christ and is free to open its doors to the public. From my understanding, in your country, just about every city you go to, you can flip on the radio and catch good Bible teaching or Christian music. From my understanding, in your country, there are Christian colleges and seminaries and Bible schools and Christian, you know, elementary schools. And there are Christian doctors and Christian. And he goes on down the list. And Nick just sat back and, and, and listens to this guy. And he begins to understand the weight of what he's saying. He says, in your country, it is an absolute miracle of God that you have what you have. And Nick walks away and began to look at God's work and God's miraculous work in a very different way than what he did previous to that in discussion. So I love this land. We get, I think, we have freedoms and privileges that no place else has. It's a land that's built on law and order, which is why we don't have to go into hiding and why we don't have to put up with a reign of terror. Most of us in this room and in this land value a subject that we're going to talk about. The Proverbs talks a lot about we value justice. America values justice, and we're going to talk about that. Proverbs, where we're at this summer, we're going through the book of Proverbs, roughly 900 of them in there. We aren't going to capture them all. Uh, Pastor Chris and I, along with the elders, kind of said, let's do Proverbs. And Chris and I sat down, who, by the way, comes back after. This is last week of sabbatical. Praise Jesus. He's coming back. <laughs> Just I want to give a little plug in there for that one. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, it's been a, I'm glad he's been off, and I've had a really uh, good time, very busy time, very hectic time, but looking forward to having him back. But Chris and I sat down, and we got to this, so the 4th of July weekend, why don't we talk about justice? Proverbs seems to talk about it a lot. And we were like, ah, does it really? We said, yeah, we think it does. So we kind of penciled it in. This week in my studies, as I've been saying, each week as I sit down, I'm just starting. Proverbs 1, reading all the way to the end, and cap, just pulling out all the verses that talk about this particular, the subject of the week. And then I compile them all together, and I just read them, kind of take everything else out. I was blown away. Pages upon pages is what I had left of how many verses in Proverbs deal with this subject of justice. Incredible amount of them. Just blew me away. And you see, we're talking about Proverbs. We're doing it because we want to live with wisdom. Wisdom means to live skillfully. It's not the brightest or the smartest or the most intelligent. It's the person who can take what they know and live it out well, starting with the fear of God. Now, to get into this subject of justice, I think it's important for us to define what justice is. Because when I say our country values justice, some of you are sitting here going, no way, else we wouldn't have had the ruling we had two weeks ago. No way we don't value justice. This week in my studies, I can't, this is a helpful start. Michael Sandel, he's a Harvard law professor, has given his time to study this subject, and he's broken down our American justice understanding into three categories, which is very helpful, kind of get us, I think, into this discussion. He says the first group of people, they view justice through the lens of maximizing welfare. So what this is, is the greatest good for the greatest number of people. So people who kind of say get, so their definition of justice, justice to this people that would be in this camp would say justice is doing the thing, the action that is going to bring the greatest good to the greatest number of people. So if we're going to make a decision, we want to make a decision that's best for the collective community, the collective whole, the entire group. 
Well, there's a second group that shows up that's, that's equally justice-oriented, but it's a very different perspective. They say, no, justice in this group is respecting freedom, individual freedom. So they say every single person has the right to choose to do what they want to do and live as they want to live. And we need to protect that. And that's justice. So the first group is kind of collective whole. The second group views it the individual. Both are justice in nature. Then a third group kind of is, is Michael talks about. He says there's another group that says justice isn't either of those two. It's actually just simply promoting virtue. So in promoting virtue, you have uh, moral law and you have the, the saying people need to live as they ought and you um, begin to legislate morality and you say if we simply legislate morality and get people to live as they ought, justice will be done. And so you have these kind of different views and you can begin to see that when you talk about justice, if you're in camp one, you're going to probably disagree pretty vehemently with camp two. And then if you're in camp three, you're probably going to struggle at times with camp two and maybe even camp. So we have this understanding. Well, so what is justice? We all come at it valuing it, but we all come at it with a little different angle. Well, I sat down then and said, well, what does the Hebrew scriptures where Proverbs would be written? What do they say a bigger picture before we zero into Proverbs? What does it say about justice? Now, in my studies, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'll throw it right up front. I struggle with English. But here's the Hebrew word that often gets used in our Old Testament. And if any of you Hebrew scholars feel free to pronounce that for me, I had a hard time with it. Uh, But it's simply, it's translated often in our Hebrew text as being just. But the thing that's interesting, though, is many of our English Bibles, when they translate this word, they translate it as being righteous. So being right. Being just, being righteous. Hit the pause button and come back into May when we did our series, Bless This Home, if you were with us. And we talked about the Beatitudes. And remember the verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, some of you know it, righteousness. And if you remember the the scriptures that we have in our pews are the New Living. And remember, they translate it, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. So we began to talk about how this concept of righteousness and this concept of justice in the Greek system can interchange. And here in the Hebrew system, which Proverbs was originally written in Hebrew, here we have the same word interchanging again. So it can be translated as being just or it can be translated as being righteous. So here's where this kind of goes. Came across a theologian, Alec Moiter, who says this. Here's how he kind of takes this word. Basically being just is being right with God, being righteous, being just, being right with God, and therefore committed to putting right all other relationships in life. Justice, righteousness, they're linked together. So if I'm going to do justice, it starts with me being right with God, and when I'm right with God, righteous, I will then in turn naturally be right with you, the people in my life. So in other words, biblical righteousness is inevitably social. Can't can't go any further than that. Justice, then, is more than the enforcement of the law. A lot of times we think justice, we think protect the law, but it's more than that. According to the Old Testament, the early parts of our Bible, the Hebrew writings in the book of Proverbs, justice is about right relationships between human beings. It's about you being right with the people you're sitting next to. It's about you being right with the people in front of you and behind you, the people that you're going to go home with and have lunch with, that you're going to hang out with and watch fireworks, that you're going to, that you're going to go to work with tomorrow. It's about being right with those people. That's justice. It's not just the enforcement of the law. Now, as you think about this and we get into Proverbs and here's how the word shows up in Proverbs. This is re- really this powerful stuff. Proverbs 21.3 says, The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. 
Think about this. Read that again. Just let it sink in. God, the Lord, is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. This sacrifice is in the Old Testament, bringing your your grain offerings and your tithes and your, your lambs and coming to do your religious duty. He says, God doesn't want your religious duty to show up to church every week. It's not what he's interested in. He wants you to do justice. There's another verse, same theme in Proverbs 21, 27. It says, the sacrifice of an evil person is detestable. So here is we have the, so a person comes in to church to bring their sacrifices, but their heart is evil and it's detestable, especially when it is offered with wrong motives, whether it's to get something from God or to put on a show, whatever it might be, wherever they might be coming to church to do their thing. God says, it's disgusting. Now, the reality is this is repeated by, by Matthew who was a tax collector who comes to, who Jesus reaches out to and is, and he, they, he comes to Jesus and Matthew chapter nine tells an incredible story, comes to Jesus. And in that day, the tax, I mean, you're the lowest of the low. They're the outcast. And he's so excited. It says, Hey man, man, listen, listen, let's have a big party and let's bring all my friends in. So Jesus comes to this party and there's all these notorious creatures at this party. And the religious leaders who would have been big on the sacrificial system, big on do your religion, do your duty. They see Jesus hanging out with all these people. And they're like, well, what are you doing, Jesus? Now they come to his buddies, his disciples, and, and they ask him a question. Hey, what is your teacher doing? Jesus intercepts the question and speaks to him and says, listen, guys, who needs a doctor? Is it the healthy or is it the sick? Now, you know the answer. Yeah, I'm healthy. I don't need a doctor. Then he repeats to him. He basically quotes these verses and others in from Hosea. And he says, listen, go and learn what it means. In other words, he's, I'm going to quote to you, your law, your sacrifice is built on this. Go and learn what it means that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What I want from you is mercy to live out well with other people, not your religious duty. I don't want your form and your function. I don't want your obligation. I don't want your religious duty. I want your heart. And when I have your heart, you're going to live well towards other people. I want that. It's what I want. It's biblical justice. Stepping outside of proverb, Micah 6, 8. You can't talk about this subject without talking about this verse, in my opinion. Justice, this is the heart, I think, of God. He has shown you, O mortal, or O man, some of you know the verse says, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? So what does God want? Does he want you to show up to church and give your 10% and do all all your religious duty? He says, no, here's what I want. I want you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Man, some of you know this verse. This is a foundational hallmark verse to Christian living. So the foundation hallmark of what it is to follow Christ and, and to live for him. Now, the word mercy here is the word, is the Hebrew word that captures God's unconditional grace and his compassion. The word justly is the word that puts emphasis on the action. So the first word for mercy puts the emphasis on the attitude. The second word puts the emphasis on the action. So there's this direct relationship between a person's grasp and experience of God's grace, his unmerited favor, and his or her heart for justice for the poor and to live right with the people in your life. There's a direct correlation. That's why Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The message of the Bible, in essence, from page one has been love God, love people. It's been that simple. 
Love the Lord God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the outflow of that is love for people. The message of Jesus Christ, which we center on here at Bethany, we're passionate about this, leads us to do justice, to live right with people. Here's why. Many religions that you encounter in life will say this to you. Live as you ought, and if you live as you ought, you will get God's acceptance and his blessing. The message of Jesus, though, shows up and says, receive God's acceptance and blessing, and in turn, you will live as you ought. It's a free gift. Receive it. And as a, resu- as a result, you live as you ought, and you live towards people and live towards them well. Those of you who are transformed by the message of Jesus will naturally live right with the people in your life, your husband, your wife, your kids, your coworkers, your boss, your employees. That is biblical justice. It's not abusing power. It's not abusing the people in your life. It's walking towards them because someone named Jesus has walked towards you. And it transforms us. We've received his blessing. We've received his acceptance. And we, in turn, live it towards others. To illustrate this, a couple, um, a couple uh, number of years ago, I grew up in a, in a church called, it was a Grace Brethren Church. Some of you may know them. They're big in Indiana, Ohio, into Pennsylvania a little bit. Some on the West Coast, but for the most part, mid, Midwest is where they're really prominent. Now, Grace Brethren Church's mecca for them is Winona Lake, Indiana. I mean, that's kind of where it's all headquartered. And my sister was living out there at the time, and I went out to visit her. I've never really been out there. And one of the things that I knew was in Winona Lake as I went out to visit her was a guy's home by the name of Billy Sunday. Now, Billy Sunday was a great evangelist. He came, he came way before Billy Graham. Matter of fact, Billy Sunday, he was, he was a real charismatic, an incredible charismatic preacher. He'd run all across the stage. He'd, he's actually would known he was a baseball player too, a professional. He'd slide across the stage and he's just full of fire when he'd preach. His preaching ultimately, if you, when you, when you study him, his preaching ultimately led to the salvation of Billy Graham. There's a trickle down effect. So we have Billy Graham because we have Billy Sunday. So I know this guy's mark in Christian history. And I thought, well, his home is here. They preserved his home. I thought, let's go look. I love to go see his home. So I went to the home. They have a little museum set up in it. And we're going to his home. And, and I think back on this. And I think, you know what? His home, here, I'll show you a picture of it. His home wasn't that impressive. Now, this, the town of Winona Lake has some really impressive homes in it. I mean, really impressive homes. I mean, it's sitting right on this lake, and there's some with, like, these boat docks. They almost look like garages, but they're for boats that come right in off the lake. And just incredible, beautiful homes. And as you walk up into his home, I mean, up those steps, I mean, it's not a bad place, but it's, it's modest. You walk up into his home, and you look around in a beautiful area. You see these magnificent homes, this magnificent village that sets right. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And you think about it, you think, why are we going to visit this home when that home over there is a lot, I'd much rather see. Look at that cool place. There's a mansion. What are we going to this place for? We know why we went to his home? It's because of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday didn't live in that home. The way I'd say it is this way. Sorry, let me back up. The way I'd say it is this way. We treasure the owner so we honor his house. Right? Mount Vernon. Why do you go to Mount Vernon? If any of you ever been there. It's Fourth of July holiday. Why do we go to Mount Vernon? It's not because it's the coolest home in Virginia. It's because we treasure the person who lived there. And he made a huge mark for our country. We're indebted to him. So we go to his home. We honor because we treasure the owner. So we honor his house. The same is true with you and I. We are all created in the image of God. 
And when I begin to receive God's grace and mercy through Jesus, I naturally turn around and honor those who we would say are the home, the house of God. A couple verses on this, I think, that really take this deep in Proverbs. Those who oppress the poor, capture this, insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. So you oppress the poor. You don't live to set the poor free. You insult their maker. Now, some of these verses, man, they, this next one, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Look at that cool thought. So you walk towards the poor with justice on your heart to restore those relationships. God in turn is going to repay you. They may not be able to, but God will. Proverbs 23, 10 to 11. It says, don't cheat your neighbor by marking, by moving the ancient boundary markers. That concept is repeated all throughout Proverbs. Don't cheat people out of what's theirs. Don't take the land of the defenseless orphans for their redeemer is strong. Now, this is one of these, we're going to end with this thought, but this this is one of these thoughts that God identifies with the weak in scripture and in Proverbs for their redeemer is strong. He himself will bring their charge against you. Wow. Now this next one, this next one is sobering. It says, don't rob the poor just because you can. Or exploit, or exploit the needy in court, for the Lord is their defender. Now look at this last sentence. He will ruin anyone who what? Let that sink in. Biblical justice. Understanding that you are created in the image of God. Every human being you encounter is created in the image of God. And you step towards them. You step towards their maker. And he says, listen, if you ruin them, I will ruin you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not an end of the equation I want to be on. It is powerful to think about this and how justice works. I think about when I, as I was working this message, I thought about when I first um, encountered a union shop. There's all kinds of opinions in this room, no doubt, on unions, what you think about a union, what you don't think about a union. But one of the things that I discovered when I went to get this job, I needed a job. It's the only job I could find at the time. It's the only job that would pay the bills for me and my, um, my family. I had some friends who would stand up and speak to me and say, Adam, you're really going to work for them? I said, yeah, I need a job. But they're a union shop. I'd say, okay, well, educate me on that. I didn't know a lot about union shops up until this point. I heard lots of opinions. Well, Adam, that's evil. And they'd tell me all the reasons why unions shouldn't exist and how horrible they are and get in all their political stances. And I'd say, listen, are you going to pay my bills? <laughs> no. Well, I need the job, so I'm taking the job. Now, as I got the job, I learned something. Unions exist where management fails. Where management abuses their power is where unions step in. One, I could tell so many stories in this, but I was in, I, I was promoted in this company. I ended up in management. I remember one evening watching a young man who was injured. He injured himself. He's on light duty. He couldn't do the hard labor. Our, the, the management wanted him out of the company. So he comes in and he comes in on light duty and he says, what am I going to do? And they say, well, you know what? I'm going to give you this job tonight. You're going to go out in the room. It's 38 degrees with a bucket of water. And your job is to wipe down the racks. Now he heads out to do it. An hour later, he comes into the, into the heated office where the supervisors are enjoying their evening, where everyone's out working in this warehouse and his hands are glowing red. And he says, I can't do this anymore. And the supervisor goes like this and he says, well, you still have half an hour till break. Get back out there, you lose your job. Now, he couldn't do it. 
He lost his job. He filed a grievance with the union. Guess what? He got his job back. Now, so I look at that. I don't want to get into, I'm not here advocating unions. But what I watched that night, what I saw happen in that company, many of the, the frontline associates that worked at that company were, some of them struggled, they're out of jail trying to get their life back together. Some of them dropped out of high school and just trying to fight for existence now in the world that they live. Some of them would move from New York City and come down to the Reading, Lancaster area just to try and get a fresh start. I mean, these, these were young men and young women that were struggling to get ahead. And I'm watching leadership just abuse them to drive their numbers. I think about that. I start thinking about, you know what? And even as a, as a supervisor in that role, I think, man, what am I doing to speak for, to step in? And I thought about this and thought, you know, how about we just run it across to our kids, parents, you have a lot of power with your children, a lot of power. What are you doing to nurture, to use that power? Well, husbands towards your wives, What do you do to use your power? And are you oppressive with it? Or do you set those people free that you live with? And it says, if you don't, the Lord, he will ruin you. I mean, it's just humbling to think about this. And Proverbs is filled with these thoughts. This kind of unfolds in Proverbs, uh, justice and mercy. One of the things I learned is you think about justice, as you think about mercy, I think, well, you know, one of our, I would have asked a definition of that coming in here. I think most of us, when we think justice, we think get even, make the bad guy pay, right? Let's take them to court, make sure they get arrested, make sure they pay. Well, as I thought about that get even, I again looked at Proverbs. I thought, you know, it really doesn't talk about that. Matter of fact, here's some Proverbs 20, says, don't say I will get even with this wrong, for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. So it says, don't go out to get even. Proverbs 24, 28 to 29, it says, don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them and don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. It's not about justice. It's not about getting even, making the wrong bad guy pay. Proverbs 24, 17 to 18, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Now, just stop right there. Do not rejoice when your enemies fall. You know, I remember vividly back in the day watching that statue of Saddam Hussein topple in Iraq and watching on Facebook Christian people that love Jesus just rejoicing. Now, I'm glad the oppressive regime of Saddam Hussein was brought to an end. It needed to be brought to an end. But over and over in Scripture, this theme shows up. Do not rejoice. It's not about getting even. It's not about going to war when it says, don't be happy when they stumble for the Lord will be displeased with you. And now capture this next thought for the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. Now, I don't know about you, but whose anger would you rather have focused on your enemy? Your anger or God's anger? I mean, some of you, you're formidable foes. I mean, your anger can really be scary. I'll I'll give you that. But whose would you rather have focused on the evildoer? And some of you, let me make this really personal. Some of you live with your enemy. Some of you go to bed with your enemy, unfortunately. Some of you, your enemy lives across the street. Some of you go to work with your enemy. Make this personal. 
and they've hurt you. And it's okay to name the hurt. It's okay to, to want to do justice, but not get even, not make them pay, not condemn, not oppress. That's not what justice is. But when you walk with your enemy in a way that begins to get even towards them and rejoice when they fall, God says, hey, listen, I was going to make them pay. I was going to turn my anger towards them. But now, nah, you know what? <laughs> your anger's already pointed there. I don't know about you, but I'd rather my enemies be dealing with God than dealing with me. I think far greater outcomes would come of that than, than what some of we deal with. Now, I will say, okay, so you say, well, Adam, can we convict someone in court? Absolutely. Justice is not void of the law. A judge who says to the wicked, you are innocent, will be cursed by many people and denounced by the nations. But it will go well for those who convict the guilty. So it's... I'm, When I say it's not about getting even, that's not to say we can't go to court. We can't punish the wrongdoer. But it's not about fighting with to get even and to condemn and to judge and to oppress. It's not what it's about. God says, that's up to me. Leave that up to me, God says. We can, with our systems, um, go about doing justice in a way that, again, we, we then say, way to go. I love the judge that does that. Final verse I'll share, Proverbs 31, 8 to 9. Now, this is the classic verse. If you read anything or listen to any preacher on this subject, this verse gets quoted repeatedly. Uh, and it's in Proverbs, Proverbs 31, right before we learn about the, the incredible wife that could be, uh, that brings incredible life, we have this verse. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Again. <laughs> not about vengeance. It's not about getting even. It's about showing respect to your creator in response to what he's done for you. And you step towards them. So justice is so much more. It's so much more than the enforcement of the law. Justice is about being right with God and in turn living right with you, with the people in my life. Now, before I end, I came across, I want to have some fun here. There's so many other verses on justice in the scripture, in the Proverbs. Something that I couldn't squeeze in. I just want to, I crammed on here at the end, interpersonal stuff. If you give me, I mean, I just want to share some of this. First one isn't quite as, this one's just kind of a more serious one. But it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. I'm sorry. I went backwards, didn't I? Forgive me. Here we go. Um, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in the power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Again, justice is about that interpersonal relationship that you have with the people in your life. This one, for any vegetarian in the room, I'm going to apologize to you right up front. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. I smile when I read this. I mean, it's just pure evidence that a good juicy steak is far better than a bowl of vegetables. (laughs) That's what I take from this verse. I mean, see that what he's trying to say, he's trying to say, listen, we all want a steak. I mean, that's an incredible meal to eat. Who wants a bowl of vegetables? But he says, but, a, but listen, but it'd be rather to eat the, the measly bowl of vegetables with someone that you love than to have the steak with someone that you don't get along with. Again, the concept of justice, living right with people. Proverbs 19, 4 and 7, wealth makes many friends. Poverty drives them all away. The relatives of the poor despise them. How much more will their friends avoid them? Though the poor plead with them, their friends are gone. Many of you have lived this. <laughs> you run out of money, you run out of friends, right? You know that. 
So I think one of the greatest things you can do for the poor is befriend them. Be their friend. They don't have many. So again, uh, this next one, verse 25, 17. <laughs> don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. Now, some of you are going, you know what? I'm going to print that up and take it over to my neighbor and hand it to him. <laughs> right? It's kind of the, the Puritan, good fences make good neighbors. I mean, there it is. The Bible talks about it. Don't, don't wear out your welcome. Live right with the people around you. Uh, this next one, I love. This one's been um, quoted in good fun in our home a few times. A loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, some of you in this room, you're morning people, right? I mean, as soon as the sun's up, you're up. I mean, forget the sun. I'm going to beat the sun up. Some of you are like, I'm up and you're ready to go. And some of you happen to marry someone who's not a morning person. I married someone who's not a morning person. I'm more of a morning person. And in good fun, she's quoted this verse to me a few times. Hey, Adam, listen. Don't greet me with the loud voice in the morning because it will be reckoned you a curse. Uh, so again, but there's tons of verses like this in Proverbs. This is what justice is. Justice isn't so much about the law, the enforcement of it. Justice is about being right with your creator and in turn living right with people, living righteous. It's an incredible view of justice and, and living that out. And what this does, this brings incredible joy and freedom to your heart. Proverbs 21, 15. Justice is a joy to the godly, but it terrifies evildoers. When those relationships are lived out well and you understand what God has done for you and you in turn live it towards people, man, it brings joy to your life. But those of you who are on the other end of that stick, man, when you see justice done and lived out well, boy, it brings, whoa, I don't have anything to do with that. And here's where I want to end. What's striking to me is in virtually all cultures throughout human history, whether it's the Roman, the Greek, the, uh, the Medes and the Persians, whatever it is, throughout all cultures, the gods of those cultures always come, or I shouldn't say always, most times come through the elite, the powerful. They come through the military captains. They come through the kings and the princes. They come through the rich and the mighty. They come through the priest. So God, in all those cultures, speaks in their minds through the elite. And I look at the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of the Bible. And you know what he says? He relates to the brokenhearted. He relates to the fatherless, to the abused and neglected and the abandoned. Those who are in the short end of stick of receiving justice. He says, I am your God. I am the God of the fatherless. He came to this earth through Jesus in a feeding trough. Where shepherds show up to worship him, the first people that kind of worship the, the, their creator are shepherds who are outcast, poor, and impoverished people that we wouldn't bring around our dinner table if we, were, if we were living back then. And he comes to say, listen, I have a message. The first thing Jesus reads is out of the book of Isaiah. It says he's coming to bring freedom to the oppressed. Open the eyes of the blind. He says, I am speaking as one, not to the elites, but to the abused and neglected, the fatherless, and those of you who've been jailed and beat up. What comfort there is in that. That the creator of the universe stepped towards us to speak for us and, and enter our plight and our humanity and bring us life in Jesus. Man, what incredible hope that is. And then as we receive that treasure, we in turn walk towards others 
to give it away. Powerful message of justice. Living right with the people in your lives. Now, as I think about this, here's we're going to pray. I want to pray for every one of us in this room. Pray for me. To do justice, one of the things I've learned in life is it takes incredible boldness, courage. My son has a Bible. I got a new Bible this past year. On the cover, it has this verse. And I thought, man, I want to end with this verse and then pray. The wicked run away when no one is chasing them. I mean, they have fear around every anxiety and fear and concern. The wicked just, man, I'm always worried about who's going to get me. But the godly are what? As bold as lions. That's courage. I think if we're going to be a people, if I'm going to be a person who lives out justice, it takes courage and boldness and wisdom. So I'm going to close this in prayer, and I'm going to just pray, God, you know what? Give us that courage. Give us that boldness, the courage of a lion to step towards humanity in a way to redeem humanity to their creator. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you for being a God who speaks to us, who stepped into our position of suffering and weakness, who didn't just hang out with the elite, but came representing the fatherless, the broken, the abused, the blind, the oppressed. God, there are many people in this room that would say, I relate to that. God, may they know that you are for them. You speak for them. God, in Jesus, there is life. So God, thank you for that message, the message of the gospel where Jesus stepped towards us to heal our broken humanity, our frail, weak. And God, as we're transformed, I pray many people in this room are by the message of Jesus. God, help us then to be people who are bold as lions, who are courageous who step towards our spouses and our kids, bold and strong. God, not to get even and not to punish and not to throw out anger and condemnation, but God, to step towards them with justice and righteousness and live with them in a way that shows value and honor and worth. God, help us to be bold. Help us to step into those places And God, honor us for that. God, I'm just going to claim for all of us in this room, God, you say you will repay us. God, what a cool promise. When we step towards the poor and those that have been oppressed, when we step towards them, you say you will repay us. God, we look forward to that. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he has done for us in stepping towards us to do justice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.